Um, it's been uh, a joy to be able to take some time working through the, the first book of your Bible as well. So I invite you to turn back to the very first book in your scripture, the book of Genesis, uh, as we prepare uh, for the preaching today. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 27. And uh, as you turn there, perhaps right before you get there, let me start us with a word of prayer and ask God to help us pay close attention to his word. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to this moment and we consider your holy word today, I pray that you would open it up to us. We love the scriptures, for in them we find the one who sovereignly planned to accomplish salvation through the sacrifice of his son. Lord, as we approach your holy word today, I pray that you'd give us confidence, give us eagerness, Lord, to learn more about you through your word. I thank you for these stories in the Old Testament scriptures, true stories about real men and women who sometimes made foolish decisions, yet you choose to use and bless. I would pray, Lord, that as we uh, put ourselves in this narrative today, that uh, what might stick out most to us is a high view of who you are. Thank you for your goodness and your sovereignty to love us in spite of all of our sinfulness through the gift of your Son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, we've been working our way through the second major section of the second half of the book of Genesis, and that would be the Jacob stories, the stories about Jacob. And uh, we're in the early part of these stories. Uh, it's been a few weeks since we've looked at them. Uh, last week we had, of course, Pastor Daniel speak from Galatians. Uh, but in the early episodes uh, of Jacob's life, they revolve around a partner in crime, his, his twin brother Esau. And uh, we've already seen a few interesting things about these twin uh, brothers. We learned first of their sibling rivalry in the, in the birth story. These twins were tormentors. This might be the nickname you'd give them, the tormenting twins. They were tormentors even when they were in the womb. The text says in Genesis chapter 26, at the beginning of that, chapter that these twins were clutching and smashing one another while they were in the womb, so much so that their mother fears for her life and goes to the Lord. But we also see their depravity in the birthright story. The birthright story. Esau, Esau, of course, took no regard for his birthright. He, He sold it off to Jacob and he guzzled down some red stew because he was hungry and he had no regard for his future. Of course, we said Jacob is not much better. He's a bit of a creep himself. Uh, Jacob uh, takes advantage of his brother when he's vulnerable. Esau is famished, doesn't think he's going to live, and so Jacob comes up with a plan to sell him this bowl of stew for his birthright. Well, today we come to the third part of the early episodes of Jacob, the, the blessing story. The blessing story. Now, doesn't that sound better? Doesn't it sound like it's going to be Things are going to be picking up. I'm sure this story is going to turn more pleasant at this point. The blessings for me, how bad can that be? Well, perhaps I should remind you of the two people who are featured in this story, Jacob and Esau. Remember those guys, those twins? 
They're like oil and water, or perhaps I should say orange juice and milk. Okay, I tried that late last night. I don't think I'll ever do that again. <laughs> I should know better. They don't mix well together. Yet these stories, these two guys who don't get along, are helpful to us because they show us that the patriarchs are real people. We think of like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Sometimes we think of like the founders of the faith, right? These are faithful men. However, we'll see some more of their family problems today. And we'll see that they are real people making wrong choices. Real people making wrong choices. And so uh, I want to look at the blessing story with you in Genesis chapter 27. It has four scenes. It all starts, if you're taking notes, it all starts with the deathbed scene, verses 1 through 4. Look there in your Bible. It says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son. And he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare for me delicious food, such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So as we begin the story, we take note that this is a special kind of Old Testament story. It's a deathbed story. And there are deathbed stories throughout the the whole of the Old Testament scriptures. There are a few of them even in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 48 and 49, you can read the deathbed story of Jacob and then later Joseph. But this is a deathbed story. Isaac is old. His eyes are dim. He wishes in this moment then to give one last blessing to his son. And uh, perhaps eat one last tasty meal to feed his appetite. The first four verses are two main characters, Isaac and his son Esau. And this is very fitting. It's very fitting because Isaac was so proud of Esau. This was his favorite son. Esau was a man's man, right? A man of the field. And Isaac loved everything about him. The way that he carried his weapons... The way that he killed his game, even later on, we're going to find out in the story, even the smell of his clothes. But this private meeting with Esau then will just continue to demonstrate something that uh, we saw a few weeks ago, and that is uh, Esau's or uh, Isaac's parental favoritism. In this private moment, then Isaac schemes to give an exclusive blessing to Esau, regardless of what God had previously told his wife, Rebekah, about the younger actually being superior or over the older, Isaac completely disregards that. And instead, he fixates on one last delicious meal. One of the interesting things as you're reading through the text of Scripture here is you see the word delicious food, or the words delicious food, are used six times in this narrative from this point on out. The word delicious is a word that, although it's used six times here, it's only found one other, one other time in all the Bible. And I found it very interesting. The other places is found is Proverbs chapter 23. In Proverbs chapter 23, the author of that proverb warns against desiring the bread of a ruler who sets a banquet before you. 
You must not give in to the ruler's delicacies, the delicious foods that he puts in front of you. And, and, and you must realize that those foods act as a trap or an enticement for your flesh. You know, your desire would be to just gorge yourself on the food, fulfill your lust and greed in all of these ways. But the author of Proverbs warns us not to do this. So this word delicious food then I I think is a negative, alluring way to describe food. Isaac cannot resist a tasty meal. That's how he's portrayed here. And, And we know from earlier in the text that he loved Esau for one reason. He loved him, the text said, for his game. He loved what his oldest son could produce for him the food the tasty food and so isaac asked for one last enticing meal and esau goes on his way to get it that's the original scene perhaps you know it well and that scene the deathbed scene leads to the deception this deception scene i i take is going from verses 5 through verse 29 And it involves deception being planned and deception being performed. I want to look at the planning of it. Look down in verse 5. Deception planned. It says, Now Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it. or so, So then Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it. Rebekah said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock and bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare for them delicious food for your father such as he loves. And you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. But Jacob said to Rebekah's mother, Behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I, I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice and do. Bring them to me. So he went and took and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And the skins of the young goats she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hands of her son Isaac. Okay, the planning of the deception involves two new characters in the story. There are two characters we know already. Rebecca and her favorite son, Jacob. And this part of the story starts with Rebecca overhearing what Isaac and Esau were planning. They were having a private meeting, planning on keeping things, I think, very private, but somehow she overhears. As a matter of fact, she always overhears. She's actually quite good at this. Those tent walls weren't very uh, soundproof. Regardless, she's resourceful, always aware of what's going on in the family. I think some mothers have a nearly supernatural level of awareness in the home. I know two mothers like this. I won't name them. (laughs) You can figure it out. Perhaps as a child you agree. She somehow hears about this stuff. 
Yeah, I would say this about Rebecca. She's a certain type of eavesdropper. She's a conniving one. Rebecca had the opportunity to trust God to accomplish his will in Jacob's life. God had promised, he had given an explanation before the child was even born. Yet she fails to trust him. Perhaps she thinks something like this. I'll just give God a little help. But what she doesn't know is God doesn't need that kind of help. He does not need our sinful scheming and practices in order to accomplish his will. She does not trust God. There are times, I think, when we too desire to accomplish good things in our family, but we cross lines and we use deceit or deceitful methods to make it happen. As we use sinful methods to obtain good results in our family. When we do do this, we should know something. We should know that those sinful methods bring consequences. And that's going to happen with Rebecca in the story. She will feel and note a consequence for her action. Now, Rebecca's plan here involves the following two things. It, uh, she first prepares two young goats that will substitute for Esau's meal that he's out hunting. Rebecca obviously feels like she can reproduce the taste that Isaac likes. Rebecca then clothes Jacob in Esau's clothes and puts the goat's hairy skins on Jacob's hands and neck. Now it's evident as you're reading this part of the text that she must believe that her husband is extremely incapacitated. For he is not able, she thinks, to distinguish between human hair and goat skin. All in all, Jacob and Rebekah put this plan together and they're able to cover every one of Isaac's senses except one. He's blind, so that covers the sense of sight or seeing. Jacob wore Esau's clothes, that covers the sense of smell. The hairy goatskins protect against the sense of touch. The sense of hearing would be the only problem left. They could not really cover that. Matter of fact, that's going to present another problem later on in this passage. But you can see this scheming, the planning of Rebecca. Perhaps as we're going through the scheming, you kind of smile or laugh, but then but then it hits you. You know, we're all guilty of scheming like these ways to cover our sins. You ever tried to cover all of the bases to hide your sin before? Pull all of the drapes, lock all of the doors, cover all of your tracks. Well, the answer to that is, yes, you have. We all have. Why? Because we follow the sin of Adam and Eve who sinned in the garden and hid themselves. How foolish it is for us to do this. God always knows our sin. Well, everything seems set here. 
for a deception. That's when the deception is performed in verses 18 through 29. Why don't you look there in your Bible with me now? Deception performed. So he went into his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Verse 21. Then Jacob said to Isaac, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob sent near to Esau's father who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me, or bring, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. Verse 28. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Deception performed. There are two main characters in this part of the story. Matter of fact, in, in every switch in the story, there's always only just two characters. Here it's Isaac and undercover Jacob. Within this part of the story, Moses identifies, I think, several undesirable character traits of Jacob. I'll just point out a few of these to you. First, uh, Jacob is eager to deceive his father. He was reluctant earlier because uh, he thought perhaps he could get caught, but now he throws himself wholeheartedly into it. He's so eager that he nearly gives himself away at the beginning of the story by, t by talking too much. Instead of simply identifying the fact that he is Esau, he kind of prattles on and on about being the firstborn and having fulfilled what Isaac asked of him in his request. Is this like a nervous energy before when he's lying? And perhaps you've experienced that. He's eager to deceive. But then secondly, Jacob lies. Uh, although he deceives in many other ways, he outright lies on three occasions. He lies about his identity at the beginning when he just kind of prattles on and on. Then he lies about how he was able to get the meat so quickly. Did you notice that in the text? He attributes his success to the work of the Lord uh, Esau, or the Lord Isaac's God, which is almost blasphemous. It's sad. He's, 
He's saying, well, you know, God blessed me. That's how I was able to do this so quick. He's appealing to God to cover up his own deceit. But then he lies one last time about his identity, and uh, he does so with one word in Hebrew that's translated with the words, I am. I think what happens in this part of the story, Jacob knows he's on very thin ice, and that his elderly father is beginning to detect that something is wrong, so he makes this lie much shorter. Are you really Esau? I am perhaps changing the inflection of his voice. One lie has led to another and to another, and this reveals, I think, one last disgusting characteristic of Jacob in this story, and that is that Jacob takes advantage of his elderly, handicapped father. We know this story so well, sometimes it doesn't shock us the way that it should. Here is his vulnerable elderly, handicapped father. And he's part of a plan to take advantage of him instead of loving him and caring for his father. He takes advantage of him in his weakness and he even kisses him. It's an act, perhaps, of betrayal. Later on in the law, we're going to find out that God takes very seriously when people would do things like this. Leviticus 19, 14, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. That's the law. And if if you don't get it there, you get it also in Deuteronomy 27 and verse 18. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. But Jacob deceives his blind father. What a despicable picture of abuse and greed. Jacob. I'll just take a moment here and make an application for us. I I think it's important for us all to know that God forbids hurting or manipulating those who are handicapped. We can't hurt them or mock them or take advantage of them because they're impaired. Instead, the scriptures, I think, would teach that we should protect them and lead them and care for them because God cares for them. And so in this story, Rebecca concocts a sinister plot with her devious son, and it's successful. The moment of weakness, after he's gorged himself on the food, Isaac surrenders the blessing. Now, the blessing that he gives in verses 28 and 29, I think, are worthy of a brief reflection. So I invite you to look again at verse 28. Okay, and this is going to be important down the road in our sermon, just a few minutes. Verse 28. May God give you the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. Here Jacob receives a promise of abundance. That's how I take he's, you know, It's a very interesting kind of ancient blessing. Now you have the dew of heaven fatness of the earth, plenty of grain and wine. Okay, so 
The first part of the blessing is abundance. Dew, fatness, grain, and wine. The second part is uh, a position. Let all these people serve you. Let the nation serve you. Let your brother serve you. Your mother's sons bow down to you. And then the third part is this curse and blessing statement. A, a promise of blessing for anyone who blesses him and cursing for anyone who curses him. This repeats some of the original promises to Abraham back in Genesis 12 that have been repeated from generation to generation. And so you have this promise of abundance, position, and blessing. And it might seem that Jacob at this point is getting away with it. Yet, uh, if you just keep reading in Genesis, you'll see, you'll see that that's not necessarily the case. Uh, Jacob himself will be deceived like he has done in this story on multiple occasions throughout his life. Just to fast forward a bit, think of the deception he's going to experience just a, a few uh, months perhaps later uh, or years later coming from Laban. Remember, I guess it's at least seven years later. Laban is going to deceive him. He's going to put the, the wrong wife in the tent. Remember this story? And then near the end of his life, he has a son that he really loves. His name is Joseph. And his other sons are going to sell him into slavery, and they're going to lie to him. They're going to deceive him, just like he deceives people here. Jacob's not going to get away with it. And Jacob's life will be filled with challenges along the way. So much so that if you read an account of how he describes the end of his life, he's, he's talking to Pharaoh at the end of the book of Genesis, in Genesis 47 and verse 9. And uh, Jacob says this, he says, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Listen to this. He says, Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Few, okay, 130 years seems like a long life, but when you compare them to his relatives, he dies earlier. Few, and he says, and evil are the days of my life. Jacob standing before the Pharaoh, describing his whole life. So Jacob deceives, it's planned and performed, but that's when we will move along in our story to the next part, the next scene, the discovery scene. That's when Esau finds out and things get moving here from this point on. Look with me at verse 30. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently. And he said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I blessed him. Yes. And he shall be blessed. And as soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Esau said, 
Is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he's taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him lord over you and all your brothers. I have given him to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac, his father, answered him and said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and away from the dew of the heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will break his yoke from your neck. This is the discovery scene. What an amazing part of the story. It starts in verse 30 with a close call. See the words at the beginning of verse 30? I've underlined them in my Bible. As soon as, as soon as, as, as one brother goes out, the other brother comes in. Amazing story. He just narrowly escapes, like by the skin of his teeth. He gets out of the room. But what might Jacob think is going to happen now? Or do something wrong before I think you're going to get away with it, and this becomes obvious. This you're not going to. It's not going to happen. What does he think? I mean, does he suppose that Esau isn't going to figure this out, or that Esau won't care? No, this is going to blow up in his face in a big way. Now, in the discovery scene, I'm struck as I was studying it this week. I'm struck. By the way, Moses uh, describes uh, things very dramatically in a few places. First, Moses says that Isaac trembled very violently in verse 33. And that phrase, trembled very violently, means that Isaac shudders with fear. He trembles, it could be translated with much and great terror. He, in this moment, experiences extreme panic. He knows the consequences of the deception. Jacob will be blessed. There's no way around it. There's no way to rescind the blessing once he's given it. He understands that. And so he experiences extreme panic. Trembles very violently. And then that is matched in the text by Esau's extreme pain. Esau, in verse 34, cries out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. That's how the ESV is translated. An exceedingly great and bitter cry. It could literally be translated, he cries a cry, great and bitter and much. Once again, the Hebrew here is remarkable because it uses a strong word for cry, which could be translated scream. And combines that with a whole string of qualifiers. It's a great and bitter and forceful scream. It comes out of Esau. Then Esau says, uh, and I guess I, I have some of these uh, here. Number three, Esau says, bless me, even me also. And that Hebrew is interesting too. He says it twice. 
the English here in the ESC is much smoother than the Hebrew. The Hebrew kind of halts and stops. It's like, me, me, too. In his pain and agony, Esau sounds like a little child who's not being treated fairly by his father. Me, me. Can you imagine this big, burly, hairy man whimpering here like a child who has been offended? This is far from the special private moment of blessing that his father had planned for him. Have you no blessing for me, father? Even one? Finally, that leads to completely bewildered Esau lifting up his voice and weeping in verse 38. This is his final move. In exasperation, he screams out one last time. After all these sad twists and turns, Isaac then finally gives him a sort of blessing. It's called a sort of blessing. Some of the commentators called it an anti-blessing. It's like the opposite. And I, what I want to do here is I want to remind you of this. Look again at verse 39 in the middle of the verse. Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall be your dwelling, and, or shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you will live, and you shall serve your brother when you grow restless. You shall break his yoke from your neck. One of the things I want to do is just kind of compare Jacob and Esau's blessings for a moment. And there's some similarities here in these stories. You remember Jacob, he gets fatness and dew and plenty. He gets abundance. He also gets a position. People are going to serve him. Nations are going to serve him. His brothers are going to serve him. And he gets this blessing promise at the end. Esau gets none of this. What does Esau get? He gets no abundance. Right? Jacob got fatness and dew. Esau gets, he's away from the fatness and the dew. He also gets no position. There's a position actually will be under his brother. Under his brother, he's going to be subservient to him. No position. He will serve his brother and only break free generations into the future. That's why I think some people call it the anti-blessing. Anti-blessing. Men and women, that's the discovery scene. And uh, it leaves one last part here that we need to cover before we, we go, and that's the departure scene. At the end of Genesis 27, the beginning of Genesis 28, Moses makes it clear why Jacob moves away. And that's why I think this whole story is here. He's describing to his original readers why Jacob went for a time away from the promised land into a different country. And uh, Moses has two reasons for it. One should be really obvious by this point in the story. The other one, maybe not so much. The first one is obvious. Uh, he, he goes away to flee from his brother. Look at verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to him, the days of your mourning a morning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So uh, she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, 
and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be reft of you both in one day? It shouldn't surprise us here that Rebecca is able to uncover something. She uncovers that Esau's been telling himself about killing Jacob. We don't know how she hears it, just someone tells her she has some source that makes this obvious to her, and so she begins making demands on her son Jacob. She builds the case that Jacob must move away and flee from his brother. Now, her sense of the situation, I think, is lacking, though, here in at least one way. She thinks she can send him away for a short time. A few weeks, maybe a few months, something like that, but it's actually going to be 20 years. 20 years. You keep reading in Genesis. While she fears that she would both lose Esau and Jacob if he remains, she would lose Jacob to murder, Esau to the capital punishment that would come from the murder, what she fails to consider or doesn't know is that she will not see Jacob again. Her favorite. It seems that when Jacob leaves, he'll never see his mother again. This is the consequence of her sinister plan. Her favorite son will leave and never return in her lifetime. Again, God did not need her to sin to get the blessing for Jacob, the one that he promised. But there's one other reason why he must move, why he must leave, and that is found at the end of Genesis 27 and the beginning of Genesis 28. And uh, I, I want to point this out to you. Uh, what might seem like insignificant little footnotes at the end of Genesis 26 and the end of Genesis 27 are actually important reasons why he must go as well. Let's start by looking at verse 34 of Genesis 26. Genesis 26. The kind of framing this whole story is the second reason why Jacob needs to go down to Ron. Genesis 26, verse 34. When Esau was 40 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Beeri, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah. Now go to the end of Genesis 27, verse 46. Genesis 27, verse 46. Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my wife because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? It's like, tell us how you really feel. <laughs> then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of your daughter, one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possessions of, of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padan Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padan Aram to take a wife from there. And and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. 
and that Jacob had obeyed his father's mo- and his mother and gone to Padam Aram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women did not please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Maaloth, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. In these sections, we learn that Esau had been married to two Canaanite women and that these women had brought much sorrow to Isaac and Rebekah. Moses couldn't say it any stronger than he does at the end of chapter 26. They made life bitter for Isaac and Rebekah, these two Canaanite wives. And Rebekah couldn't say it any stronger either. At the end of chapter 27, verse 46, when she says this, she says, I loathe my life because of them. I've heard of not liking your daughters-in-laws or son-in-laws before, but I've never heard of anything like this. Rebecca says, I'm disgusted with living because of them. And if Jacob marries a Hittite woman, what good will my life be? But Rebecca's point here is not perhaps what we think it is, her interests, I think, are actually to preserve Jacob's life. This is a way for her to manipulate her elderly husband to put something into his mind so that he'll suggest or command that Jacob leaves to protect and preserve him. What a family. Yet these are real people Sinful people who make wrong choices. Perhaps this week you've made wrong choices. Perhaps even in your family. I'll encourage you with this narrative. Encourage you to take heart. God can still use you. Repent. Confess. And then praise the name of the God who can use sinful men and women like us. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the privilege of walking through this text of Scripture. We come to this text, Lord, with lofty views and ideas of the patriarchs, the founders of the faith of Israel. And yet we read their miserable failure. We read of deceit, manipulation, threats of murder, multiple wives. Lord, we read all of these things and we we wonder, we wonder how you are able to use such sinful men and women. But Lord, as we consider our own lives, we know that each one of us Each one of us fail you and are sinful. And we know that there is a way that you have overcome our sinfulness. Lord, our Savior, Jesus, he too was betrayed by a kiss. By a betrayer who would send him through the power of Satan the cross but Lord we know that this this too was in your sovereign plan this was according to your will 
And you arranged these things in such a way so that our Savior would not only die on a cross, but he would arise by your power three days later so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. Lord, we are real people who make wrong decisions. And we know those are covered by the blood of our Savior, Jesus. And so help us, Father, help us. We want to, in our families, give a good picture of who you are, your goodness and your grace. I pray that you would help us to show others the change that you have made in our lives. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.